Happy New Year. What's up? What's up, everyone? We are entering the biggest year of this podcast ever. <laughs> I don't know if I, I can't do spoilers yet. It's not time yet. But this is Around the Post ATP podcast episode 170. And all things are right in the universe. Mark Figueroa is back in the building. Did you miss me? <laughs> Only a little bit. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, lots to cover. And also, Happy New Year, man. How are you feeling? Good, good. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the tennis season has officially started. It actually started uh, uh, two days prior to the new year. Yeah, so it started fast. It started fast. But there, there's a lot of news. I got a couple of stats for you guys uh, uh, from uh, last year that should be interesting and uh other stuff so it'll be a good episode all right where do you want to start yeah we're gonna start with the wta um we're gonna start with this is the first time since 2012 that two women have finished the year with 9,000 points mm. so normally there's been a good big gap it's been serena at 9,000 and then azarenka for example would have 6,000 yeah but this time iga and sabalenka both ended with more than 9,000 points at the end of the year. Interesting. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's that's pretty impressive. It makes me think about who was with Serena in 2012. Was that Justine Hennon at that time, or who was, who was her follow-up? Well, Azarenka for sure was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't believe Hennon was as relevant, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. but, yeah, there were a couple others. But, yeah, uh, she always would have a big gap in between but this is actually fairly impressive because this means that the wealth was spread more obviously coco goff had a strong end of the year but uh it's very impressive that two women had more than nine thousand points for sure wow okay yeah i'm doing a little research here the number one and number two players were azarenka and sharapova it looks like um, and then Serena was in the three spot. So I see. Yes. Very interesting news there. <clears throat> yes. And um, also, this is pretty big news. Uh, as you well know, Osaka is back. She won her first match, but ended up losing her second against Pliskova. Mm-hmm. And uh, Radikanyu, big news for Radikanyu. There's been over six women dropping out of the... W, of the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. And now this gave a direct entry for Radicanu. Wow. Yeah, she was supposed to play ch- the challengers, mm-hmm. but now that the people have dropped, it's enough for her to get a direct entry. That's good for the tournament and for her. What are your thoughts on Radicanu getting a, a direct entry instead of playing the uh, challengers? That's a, that's a huge win for her as an athlete. That's a lot less mileage added to her body on the court, and that's great for the tournament because that's a ticket seller. Yes, you know, for sure. She's going to fill seats. She's going to create a quality matchup. Even if she lost in the first round, that's a good look for everyone. Yes, I agree. And on other news, uh, outside of tennis, uh, there's going to be a pretty big tennis movie coming out mm. with uh, Zendaya. Oh, yeah. I've heard yes, about it's this. called Challengers. As a matter of fact, Brad Gilbert was doing the choreography on the tennis. Really? Yes. So as we know, Brad Gilbert is currently coaching Coco Goff, mm-hmm. and as a matter of fact, Coco Goff went on 
ex and said, oh, I can't wait for this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I love Zendaya. Even Serena Williams was all, I can't wait to see the choreography on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'm. It's tennis, so I'm excited for it. I, I saw the trailer when it first got released. I, I've kept up with a little bit of the information around this movie. And it's kind of funny. I forgot to bring this up on the podcast this whole time. But yeah, this is good news. This is going to do well. Um, Zendaya is definitely a rising superstar. Um, if she's not already considered one, I think she's already considered a superstar, right? Yes. Um, she's definitely another A-list celebrity doing a tennis film or a film involving a lot of tennis. So we've seen Shia LaBeouf. We've seen Zendaya now. We There's been a lot of good tennis movies in the last 10 years. Yes, so, I agree. Yes. This is pretty cool. Yes, so I thought that was fairly uh, good uh, news to bring up. So now we have a stat here for you guys. So in 2023, uh, Rabakina recorded four victories over world number ones. Hmm. And that is the most wins against number ones since Serena Williams in 2012. 2012 is that year, huh? That's that year, yes. So I guess it makes sense now. Uh, I stand corrected. It must have been 2011 when Serena was at the number one spot. I think that um, 2012 is the Sharapova Azarenka year. Most likely, yes. And, and Serena was beating them. Exactly. Yes. That's what it was. Yes. So as a matter of fact, in 2003, she was seven and five against top 10 opponents. And she was six and one when she faced the top three. Mm. What are your thoughts on that stat? Um, I mean, it just speaks to her ability to show up when it matters the most. But the funniest part about all this is, although Rabakina has created this dynamic trio amongst her, and Sa- her Sabalenka, and Iga, for some reason, when she's not playing Sabalenka and Iga, we're not getting as many big tournament victories overall as the other two. So she's got to figure out a way to create more consistency on her tour and just gather more points and do a better job that way. But obviously she's she's winning matches that matter. Yes, I agree. And uh, as you well know, she beat uh, Iga on her way to play Sabalenka at the Australian Open Final. Yeah. As a matter of fact, on match point, Iga just quit. Mm-hmm. Rebakina hit the ball in the middle of the court and she just quit. Mm-hmm. She beat Iga at Indian Wells mm-hmm. as well. And uh, she beat her in the Rome quarterfinals. So she's beaten Iga a lot. So mm-hmm. this brings up a question that I've been dying to ask uh, since I'm bringing up Iga next. With Naomi Osaka coming back, that's another big hitter. Uh, do you think that Iga's days at the top are numbered with these big hitters giving Iga problems? I'm very curious to see what version of Osaka we officially have. Are you going to talk about Osaka further today? Uh, not as much, no. Okay, because she is officially back. Yes. And she does look good. She does. Very, very good. Yeah, she looks good. Um, because what I wanted to tell you right now is let's not worry about Osaka until we see what kind of level she's going to bring to the table. But she's kind of given us a glimpse already. And I'm not going to lie to you. Um, she's, she's looking decent for a player that's just coming back to the tour. She just lost to Pliskova, but yes. it was in three sets. Right. Um, and she lost a tiebreaker. So I'm I'm thinking she's going to be a threat. I agree. And um, again, with Osaka being that big hitter, mm-hmm. I, I really want to see that Iga-Osaka match. 
I want to see the Osaka serve and backhand. Yes. And that's going to tell me everything I need to know about the level of threat she's going to be now that she's back. Because we know the forehand's going to be there. Yes. The forehand's going to be great no matter what. I don't doubt the Naomi Osaka forehand. My concerns are going to be her mindset and her weaker wing. Right. And if she shows up with those, you can expect her to be a top five player again. Yes. Um, with that being said, Iga has really shown me that even when she has tough matchups, she's having off days. The way she played first quarter of last year compared to the way she finished last year, I definitely have high confidence that she will come up with answers. I really do. Yes. And uh, before I go to the Iga, uh, not, I will say drama. Here's another fun stat for you. In 2023, uh, Pagula, after winning the first set, was undefeated, 51-0. and This year at United Cup against Katie Bolter, who is uh, Great Britain, mm. she beat her in the first set and lost. Mm. So I don't know about that. Is, that, is that something of concern for Pagula? I'm not going to count Pagula out yet because of how great her year was last year. Um, there's a few other significant losses that have happened in this first week of the year that I'm sure you'll bring up yes, in some fashion. In, in the ATP, yes. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm just going to factor it into it being a new year, and I'm not going to overthink it yet. It's still early. Yes, I agree. I think it's just too early to be in any crisis of 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 <clears throat> excuse me of panic. Yeah. So I I just think it's too early for sure. But now we're going to get to the Iga drama. It's actually pretty funny. So Spain was going to play Poland. And they asked Sorbis Tormo, who played Iga in singles. Mm -hmm. Iga destroyed her. Mm -hmm. uh, but prior to that, they asked her, are you afraid of playing Iga? Tormo responded, if I play at my best level, I should be okay. Fokina who played with Tormo against Hercotch and Iga, hmm. he said, I'm not afraid of her. Hmm. Well, they played mixed doubles. 0-0. 6-0. And the the whole social media was all, be careful, Fokina. He put, she put on a show against Musetti hmm. last year. Hmm. And she put on a show again. She he was serving on average. He didn't go big. He mm. he normally he normally serves up about low one twenties. He was serving about one thirteen at Iga. Mm. She was returning it. No big deal. Mm. Corners, and Fokina just couldn't did not have an answer for Iga. Mm. So what are your thoughts on that six zero six zero on Team Poland versus Spain? So. I, I saw the, the after-match interview in the press conference, and I'm not going to lie to you. If I were in their shoes, I would not be happy with uh, the language that they, were, that they were using. They were talking about opening bakeries and all kinds of things. Um, it was comical. It was very comical. Um, yeah, they were laughing, essentially, at how badly they beat this team. Yes. It, it was hilarious. Yes, yeah, so I mean, uh, I guess Fokina now learned not to mess with Iga, huh? <laughs> yeah, he he learned the hard way. Oh, for sure. So now we have a little bit of the uh, Halep Martagaliu uh, drama with the whole uh, HGH stuff. Mm -hmm. She is now blaming Martagaliu's uh, coaching staff completely 
for what happened to her. She, uh, Halep in an interview said, I am blaming Martagulu for 25 years of my career's years destroyed because mm. he knew what he did to me. And she said, he's my coach, so I'm not really in charge of what I'm taking. Mm. He knows what he's giving me. Mm. So she's putting all blame on Martagulu. Wow. Do you agree? Is this how Hogaruna made his run? Is Martagalu funneling in and smuggling hyper PEDs into his athletes? Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's uh that seems a bit extreme and it seems a little bit like a cop out to redirect and deflect to someone else, but ultimately I do think that athletes lean on their team to give them the right things. I just don't know if it's Martagalu's job to provide you with your supplements and PEDs or whatever you're taking. I just don't really know if that's the answer. So I can't really back her on this one, but anything's possible. Oh, yes, I agree for sure. I think that she's still responsible for what she is taking and she should have known mm-hmm. what was given to her. Yeah. So it's on her to know as well, for sure. Yeah, I just don't really, I don't see Martagalu as the guy who's in charge of your supplemental intake like that. You know, you need to know what you're taking, like you said. And at the end of the day, he's not a nutritionist. He's a tennis coach. Right. You know, so it just doesn't make sense to me. I agree. So now we have, uh, again, just a quick recap of 2023. This is per the tennis channel. Now you have to remember, the tennis channel doesn't show the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's on ESPN+. Mm -hmm. Plus. So not all the Grand Slams are being shown on Tennis Channel. Yeah. But the quarterfinal, the, these are the top five matches on Tennis Channel okay. uh, viewed. Okay. Uh, so number five is Alcaraz versus Sissy Pass at the French Open. Really? Now, that is when Sissy Pass claimed that he took, uh, he had tr- problems sleeping. So he took something to help him sleep and it slowed him down. I don't know if you recall that or not. I do. I remember that. So that was the number five uh, biggest match seen on the tennis channel. Interesting. Then you got um, Sabalenka versus Muhova at Roland Garros. That was number four. You have Miami, Open Center versus Alcaraz. Okay. Number three. The crazy point there for sure. Number two is the semifinal between Djokovic and Alcaraz. Mm-hmm. And number one is that crazy Cincinnati final where Djokovic ripped his shirt again. Yeah, that that was potentially match of the year, potentially. Yes. So what are your thoughts on those? Um, that's a cool list. I you know, I really do hate that we're doing lists with these dumb stipulations of aired on tennis channel. Yes. When you know, half the season, like there's three or four different networks that air tennis matches now. So I'm I really am not a fan of these channel exclusive lists, but at the same time, it's cool. It's nice to reflect and remember some of these moments from the year. Uh, CC Pa talking about his sleeping pills slowing him down yes, was exactly. hilarious. Yes, uh, Cincinnati was a great match, and you know there's a lot of really great non Grand Slam matches this year. There really were. So yes, I like the list. And now these are the top five topics post by tennis channel that was viewed the most okay so number five is the wta look that was when everybody was in white except iga was in red so she didn't get the memo yeah number four was when holger runa and the stanimal shook hands at indian wells and then holger said 
you don't have anything to say now? I love that. I love that uh, that uh, trash talk exchange. Yes. And then number three was obviously Djokovic hanging up the phone on Ben Shelton. Woo! That's a spicy one. Yes. Number two was Wozniacki wearing that bodysuit that sort of looks similar to Serena's bodysuit at the French Open. That's, that's number two? Yes. Wow. And number one, since Breakpoint is coming out next week, might mm. as well, right? Uh, what happened between Berrettini and Tom Janovich after Breakpoint? Oh. That was number one. Wow. Most viewed post by Tennis Channel that was posted by them. Wow. Okay. What are your thoughts on that list? Um, here's my immediate thoughts. What Breakpoint covers seems to get a lot of the fans heavily invested. Um, that's very impactful. That's number one on the list. So yes. shout out to the Breakpoint show for definitely creating a narrative and a plot line and getting fans invested in Tom Yanovich specifically, but also Bertini, who had a very, very quiet 2023. Yes. You know, so that makes this even more interesting because we know it wasn't his stardom from 2023 that made this a hot topic. Yes, exactly. You know, so that's a pretty crazy list. That's funny. Um, Wozniacki's uh, bodysuit making noise lets me know how the gender ratio of <laughs> of tennis fans and um, the Iga in red instead of white on purpose when she found out the the plans for the WTA finals dress up. Um, I love it. I love that that's top five because I thought that was a pretty funny moment and I thought it spoke well to Iga as a person. Oh, for sure. Yes. It was a great moment for us to see into her personality a little bit. So I love that one. Yeah, she's definitely stepping out of her uh, shell. shell. Quote yeah. Yes, and, and she's coming out for sure. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. Mm. So now we're going to go on to the men real quick. The stats of 2023 on the serve. Mm. So you have return games one is Alcaraz. He's won the most return games in 2023. Okay. 31%. Not surprised by that at all. Breakpoint saved. That's going to be center at 69.2%. Mm. We have service games won. Now, this is surprising. Sissy pass, 88%. You know you know why that, that, that statistic sounds reasonable? Because he is, out of the top 10 players, he has the most compromisable serve return. Um, so the fact that he's still top 10 means he must be serving pretty well, right? Yes. That's, that's my rational thought behind that. Second serve points one, Djokovic, 57.9%. You should let me guess these. What's the next one? Okay. First serve points one. Hubie Hercotch. Yes, yeah, 79.5%. Yeah. And then I left you the easy ones. Uh, highest ace count. John Isner? Hubie Hercotch. Hubie Hercotch, okay. He's the, he's the ace leader oh, for he, the year. He played yes. more actual matches yes. than John Isner. 1,031 gotcha. aces for the year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thoughts? Um, all those line up for me. Um, I think that Carlos Alcaraz definitely got that one because Djokovic just played less tournaments in general. But I think he was second for sure overall. Yes. Now, here's here's the crazy stat I was telling you off air. So, as you just know now, mm-hmm. Hercotch led the tour in 2023 with 1,031 aces. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest gap in five, no, in seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second place was uh, Fritz, 692. That is massive. That is a 
big gap. Mm-hmm. That's almost 400, about 350-ish, yeah. give or take. Ace difference. Mm-hmm. The, the other one was in 2017 when John Isner had 413 more aces than Sam Query. Wow. So that's the biggest gap there. What do you think of that stat? Uh, I, I'm not going to pretend to be super impressed by that. Uh, the serve bots are out of commission right now. They're all uh, in sleep mode. We have Nick Kyrgios, John Isner, Riley Opelka. A lot of the people who crank serve aces are not playing actively through the year of 2023. So I think that's the main reason that that stat is as crazy as it is. But still impressive nonetheless. You know, he's really made a name for himself as an elite server on the tour. Um, I thought he, I would say this, before 2023, I think he's an underrated server. Yeah, I can um, see that. And I think that he's made a huge change um, in his presence as a server. So I think that the funny thing is moving forward, let's expect in 2024, the top 10 players to all be studying his serve patterns, his serve style, and looking for ways to get more of his serves in play. Right. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he's able to weather that storm and stay a top 10 server or top five server, I should say, through 2024 now. Because now everyone knows. There's no secret here. You play Hubie Hercotch, you're going to face bombs. I think you still be a top three server, yeah. in my opinion, for sure. So that's um, not going to matter. He can... I believe he's going to find uh, different patterns to play. Yeah. So it, it'll be it'll be interesting to to see for sure. Mm-hmm. But now, now we're going to get to the Nadal return. But first, we're going to get to the qualifier he had to face. Mm-hmm. So everybody was upset because when the draw came out, everybody was a oh okay. So when you return, you get the easy draw, huh? So he had to play a qualifier in his first match. Mm-hmm. Uh, Runa. Shelton nor Corda were in his draw. Those mm. are the those are the big seeds in this tournament, and Nadal doesn't have to face any of them. And the qualifier ended up being Dominic Team, which is not a walkover. Yes, everybody was saying, "Well, this isn't prime Dominic Team, mm. but um, it's still Dominic Team." Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on the people saying that Nadal has gotten an easy draw? I have a lot of things to say about it. So first and foremost, can we talk about what it means for Nadal's return singles match to be Dominic team? I'd love to dig into that a little bit because is there a more perfect starting matchup for Nadal you can think of? As a wild card? I mean, he has a winning record on him. Mm-hmm. One-handed backhand. He he pounces on that type of uh, player because of the lefty topspin. So yeah. Probably not. Um, but let me let me flip the script and say, if Nadal goes into this match and loses, how significant of a sign would it have been? Okay. Okay. I get it now. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it wouldn't have been as if it's a terrible loss, quote exactly, unquote. Exactly. Right. It would have been, okay, that's a quality opponent. That's the guy who's beaten yes. him on clay before, right? Right. Yes. You know, so I think that Nadal couldn't have gotten a better scenario mentally or pressure-wise or anything because you beat Dominic Team, it's wow, you beat Dominic Team. That's still impressive. Yes. You lose, it's it was Dominic Team. <laughs> you know, that's a Grand Slam winner. That's a guy who's beat Ron Clay. That's a guy who maybe isn't in his prime, but has beaten Nadal before and is maybe walking on that court fearlessly. Yes. Um, 
So I think that this was a win-win for Nadal, no matter what the result was, which makes the pressure much lighter. And it showed in the way he played. Yes. Um, what was your original question? The original question was... Uh, what I feel about... What I feel, yes. Yeah. Um, I feel bad for Dominic Team. Uh, being honest with you. I think that Dominic Team is... He's struggling, you know, in, in a few different ways. I don't think his level is as bad as people are describing it to be. I think that some things like maybe his backhand return is not as strong. I think that there's a few factors in his game, like um, his on-the-run backhand is not as powerful. There's uh, little details here and there in the way he's playing that maybe I can say are lesser, but... Unfortunately, he's playing pretty high-level tennis against some big-boy players and just coming up on the short end of the stick. I agree. Um, you know, and it's coming down to a lot of crucial points he's losing. He's losing points in big moments that he used to win. So, for Dominic Team, I think this was unfortunate. And for Nadal, I think this was the best possible scenario. It wasn't a walkover nobody where you win the match and you go, okay, but what does it really mean? You can walk away from this match, and your confidence is growing from it. So, great news for Nadal. Um, an opportunity for Dominic team that was missed. And so, I think everybody won here in some facet by having this matchup. So, the question actually was, what do you think about the hater saying that Nadal had a easy draw with Dominic team being the wild card and him not having to face Shelton, Runa, or uh, Corda? Oh, okay. Um my thoughts on that are, okay, you want Nadal to have a tough first round, but do you think it's fair to Shelton, Runa, Korda to have Nadal in their first round? Yeah. That's unfair to them, you know? So I think the tournament did a great job. I really do. I don't think they could have done this better. They put Nadal in a scenario where he had to show up and play well to win, but they also didn't screw over our high seeds in this tournament. Exactly. So I think that it was perfect. No, I agree there for sure. So before getting to the match, now here's a stat for you. Uh, Dominic team in the qualifying round was down two six three five love forty, came back and won. <laughs> I saw that the man. match. I saw that. So that's that's impressive. Yeah. So now going to the actual match, Nadal, he looks more ferocious. He mm -hmm. looks more uh, eager to end points. Mm -hmm. Back then he would hit his forehand topspin is too loopy too short mm -hmm. now he's hitting it deeper he's actually looking for that kill shot and actually going for that kill shot mm -hmm. that first set was high quality mm -hmm. between dominic team and Nadal. that was a great sure. great first set from yes. both of them it was as if it's okay this is the old rivalry yeah obviously in the second set it faded but if both players can maintain that level this is something dominic team is back yeah and nadal for sure, he's if he plays this way, he's pretty much untouchable, really. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Um, if Nadal can maintain the level I saw. So let me first start by saying how I felt when I saw Nadal. My first, and I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. How did you feel when you just, you're, you had an optic of the way Nadal looked when he walked on court? What were you thinking? He looked, he looked fitter. Yeah. He looked fitter. He, he looked ready to go. Yeah, for sure. Um, he looks lean. He yes. looks optimized to play high level tennis. He looks like he has not been sitting on the couch. Um, I really liked when he first walked out. I was, mm -hmm. I thought it was 
uh, the presence of a guy who wasn't joking when he said, I wouldn't come back unless I thought I could win a slam. Um, I believe him. I 100% believe him now if I didn't before. So I love that Nadal is back. I love the way he looks. I love the way he played. His forehand, as you said, looked deadly. And I think that we're in for a surprise, this Australian Open. I agree. You know, I really am impressed. Yes. And now in the press conference after the match, I'm going to paraphrase, but Nadal pretty much said Dominic Team is playing high quality tennis. Mm -hmm. If he stays healthy, he's going to return. Yeah. Do you agree? Nadal is somebody I take the word of in press conferences pretty serious and pretty literally. I don't think he's a fluff guy. I don't think he's a let me be nice for no reason guy. And I agree with him. I watch Dominic team pretty closely because I'm a big fan of the way he plays tennis. And I've seen his level creeping up very slowly and steadily. I have not seen him have major dips in his performance at all in the last six months. We've seen him have a couple battles with Paw. Um, we saw Paw afterwards saying, no, you look great. You're playing well. Your time will come back again. And we don't trust Paw, So we don't, we don't add as much weight and value to his words. But... I think CC Powell was being honest in those moments with um, a little bit of hindsight. Yes, I agree. And since we brought up Shelton and um, Corda, they lost early mm-hmm. in, in the tournament. What are your thoughts on them? Are you concerned? Um, I think I may have said this on air, um, but the Shelton 2024 for me, I'm not as heavily anticipating it as everyone else is. I do anticipate him being a top 10 player. I don't think that he's going to make as much noise as people think he's going to make. I don't know if he's ready for the big quote-unquote five right now. Right. Center, Medvedev, Alcaraz, Djokovic, Nadal. Um, Those five, I don't think the center game, or not center, I don't think the Shelton game has an answer for those games. Um, they're way too complete for him and he's going to have to clean it up just a bit more. So that'll be my main concern. And as far as Corda goes, I think that Corda just needs a little bit more time. I do think his game is complete, but you know, it's early in the year and we'll just have to wait and see where he grows to and what he, what, if he can peak this year or not. I do think Corda has what it takes to break through. Yes. Uh, Shelton, the word is out. Everybody's studying him now. Yeah. Uh, he's going to have to make some big, big changes in mm-hmm. order for him to have a repeat year. As far as Cord is concerned, he did make a very deep run into the Australian Open last year before hurting his wrist, mm-hmm. losing to Hashinoff. But uh, if he wants to have a repeat uh, year at the Australian Open, a repeat, he's going to have to clean up some stuff for sure. Um, I do want to say one thing, though. Um, the guy Shelton lost to is not a pushover by no, any means. No, um, Shelton lost to this guy. And this guy is, he's been making noise. You know, he um, he's the guy who beat Alcaraz last year. Yes. Um, he beat Mueller last year. He's um, He beat Jordan Thompson last year. He doesn't have a reputation yet. He's not popular, quote unquote, yet, but... This is just someone I think that people should keep an eye on because he's he's shown, I guess the best way I could put it is, he's um he's shown that he's not afraid of the top 10. 
and this guy can beat the top 10 players. He took out Andy Murray last year, Zverev last year. He went to three sets with Alcaraz one time. He went to three sets with uh, Shelton one time last year. And I, I'm not going to lie to you. I've not watched this guy closely. His name is Rovin, Roman Safwian. Yes. Um, I don't know him super well. I've watched a lot of his highlights. But I can just tell you from his results and statistics that this is a guy who is a giant killer. He's dangerous. No, for sure. Yes. So with Shelton, I don't want to chalk this loss up as something of major significance. But I do stand by my statement that he's got he's got some things to worry about. Yes, I agree. Um, like you said, people are paying attention now. You don't have the shock value statistic behind you this year. Yes. People have been watching and studying, and they know what you're capable of. So what are you going to do with that information? Exactly. So before going to more stats of 2023, I have a couple of statements made. Mm. So Alcaraz was asked, as you know, the Olympics are this year in Paris. Mm. They're going to be at the French Open. Um, And he was asked, what would you rather have, a gold medal or another Grand Slam. He said, gold medal all day. Mm. And then, so we'll, we'll do this one first. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, spoken like a true two-time Grand Slam champion. Um, I think that's why he said that. Um, I like it. I love that he's his objectives seem to align with thwarting the goals of Djokovic. <laughs> so he went, oh, Djokovic wants a gold medal? Me too. No, um, and I I love that it's going to be on clay. Ideally, it At sounds the like it, open. yeah, yes. it sounds like it's going to be on clay, and he flourishes there in redemption for what he did at the last French Open. Let's see it. Show me what you're really willing to do, and how far you're willing to go, and how much you've matured since the last time you faced Novak Djokovic on a clay court. And um, and. He could face the 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 giant the giant of all giants, which is Nadal. So Huge. If, if he beats him at Roland Garros, there mm. it is, right there. Yeah. So that's a huge statement. I agree with you. A lot of people were probably thinking, "What is he thinking?" But as you stated, he has him. Mm. Djokovic is wanting the gold medal. He doesn't have it yet, mm-hmm. so he's he wants to stop him. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. And now Sissipas, he made a statement saying. This is the hardest um, era to win a Grand Slam! Exclamation point. Do you agree? No. <laughs> I think this is the funniest era to watch people chase Grand Slams for sure, but it's not the hardest. We know statistically already the hardest era ever to win a Grand Slam in was between. 2005 and maybe 2015. Yeah, you know for sure. that 10 year span was completely dominated by everyone, and the only person who got a slam was Del Potro. In a 10 year span, I want to say that is. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's 10 years. Um, this span, we've already seen Carlos Alcaraz, Dominic Team, Medvedev. This is not the hardest era to ever get a Grand Slam in. You are hallucinating. You're delusional. And in fact, you've choked. You've gotten and knocked on the door. You've gotten there. Yes, he was at the French Open final. Yeah, you made it there and you couldn't close the door. You couldn't ascend. You couldn't find the next gear. And that's okay. You know, 
I still respect that he got there. I really do, because that's not easy to do. But you're no different than Kyrios. You're no different than, you know, a lot of these guys. I can't give him the same credit I give Ferrer. Yeah. Ferrer was in a Ferrer was in an era that was extremely difficult. Tomas Burdich is in an era that's extremely difficult. These are guys that we could say are at least equal or better than CC Pa and didn't get a single slam. Yeah. They both maybe got one final or two finals. Yes, it was one. Yeah, one each. Um Yeah. He's he's out of his mind. I understand though, maybe he's so far in he can't see from outside, but this isn't the worst. Well, this is the guy who had sleeping pill problems, so you know yeah. it is what it Just is. Just keep there. in mind that the level of dominance Djokovic has times yes. that by three. That's yeah. two thousand five to fifteen. There's three Djokovic's on the tour. Yeah, for sure. Yes. So now we're gonna go into more stats for two thousand twenty three before going into a brief United Cup stuff. Mm-hmm. So in two thousand twenty three, the tour leader for having the most wins above his ranking was Stanimal. Stanimal had 20 wins against players that were ranked higher than him. Mm, I love that. I he love that started style. the year at 148 in the world mm-hmm. and finished it at 49 in the world. Okay. Okay, big Stan. 20 victories against players ranked higher than him. Mm-hmm. Then you have uh, Jari, who was a Chilean, who had 17 and Fees had 16 mm-hmm. victories. What are your thoughts on that set? Um, I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm impressed that Stan took first on that. Because kind of like you said, the Arthur Fees, a few of those other guys that they're, they're growing and on the come up as athletes. They're not people who've quote unquote peaked already. Yes. Um, the fact that he's outperforming them on his way up is mind blowing. And good job, Stan Warinka. Um he had a few matches. I think I told you about one at the U.S. Open where he looked like Australian Open legend Stan Wawrinka. Um, he's beaten some pretty good players. He's performed out of his mind a few times. And I'm not surprised by that statistic at all. You know, um, I'd love to bring up Murray in this conversation, but he's ranked too high now. Yeah. You know, he's playing people who are top 40 or better in order to get that same statistic. So... He's not going to be able to accomplish it, but let's look forward to seeing what Stan Wawrinka can do in this coming year because he still looks healthy. He's still playing well, and now he's going to have hopefully a slightly better draw. He needs to go up about 15 spots for us to really see him get put into a tournament in the correct position. If he stops uh, chipping his forehand return and actually starts striking it, he'd go up another 15. Yeah, for sure. So he's going to have to fix that for sure. Now we have the opposite. We have players who played at least 20 matches in the ATP Tour last year who did not do so hot against players ranked above them. Mm. So we have, these are the top three worst. Oh. So we have Shapovalov was 0-7 oh oh. against players ranked no! above him. Oh, you're breaking my heart. Uh, number, number two, Sissy Pass. He was 0-5 oh. against players ranked above him. Wow. And then, this is this is actually shocking. Casper uh, Ruud, he was 0-2. So it's not as if he had a lot of matches, but it's still 0-2 against players ranked above him. What are your thoughts on that stat? Look, Chapo 
shattered my heart. I love his level of play so much. I'm very disappointed um, in the way he played this past year. I would like to see him do more. He just couldn't do anything, you know? Um, It seems like the tour is just not blown back by his game anymore. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't really watch him play all last year. Um, It's disappointing. It's disappointing to see, and I really, really love the way he swings a racket. You know, I'm a big fan of his play style. (sighs) Casper no one cares. <laughs> uh, I've I've preached countless times that Kasparud to me is a guy who his ranking it jumped up the way it did because he does a good job of kind of wiping out the guys that are t- ranked 15 or uh, worse. And he's never to me been hyper dominant against top 10 players ever. I've never felt that way about him. So I'm not surprised by that. And in CC Paz. I think that when he first came to the tour and broke through, he did a good job with the top 10 players. But I think that his game, he's had a lot of coaching transitions, mental transitions. He's had a very rebuilding-like year. And as much as I'm not even a CeCe fan, I think that we shouldn't put too much stock in him having a bad year because he's trying to figure things out. And I do think in 2024, although I'm not a fan, he will have a better year. I really do feel that way. So... There's another stat on Casper Ruud, but he did, he is having a, a good, <clears throat> excuse me, United Cup. Mm-hmm. So that's good. But as we know, uh, he's had 21 matches to where he has lost to players ranked below him, mm-hmm. which is the most on tour. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, he out of those 21 losses, 13 of those have been to people outside the top 50. Oh, my goodness. So he really gave those players their highest uh, victories of their career for sure. We talked Just about handing this. them out. We talked about this all podcast long throughout this 2023. It angers me. What are your thoughts? Kasparud is handing out golden tickets to top 10 player victories to people. He's saying, you never beat a top 10 player? Allow me. And it drives me crazy. Um, Casper Ruud to me is just not a true top tenner. You know, I really herald the top 10 ranking tennis players as people who know how to beat everyone outside the top 20 handily. That's how I pride myself on framing those people. They're people who just know how to win. And it seems like for Casper Ruud, it's more so that he knows how to stay healthy and play a lot of matches. That's his recipe for success. And I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a big fan of him, and I want to see him make changes so that he is what we define a top 10 player as, and it's a person who has high-level offense and knows how to beat people and not just outgrind people or outstroke people on a consistency level. He's the only one in the top 10 like that for me. I'm I'm not liking it. Well, I believe he is outside the top 10 now. As he should be. So, yes, with those... uh in 2022, he made the U.S. Open final. He made a lot of finals, and he couldn't follow it up mm. in 2023. So quickly about the United Cup, we have Poland awaiting the winner of France and Norway. Again, Casper Rudd has actually been playing good this uh, United Cup, so that's good. Mm-hmm. And then we have Australia, who upset Serbia. I'll get into that a little bit more. Mm. 
awaiting the winner of Greece and Germany. Mm. Uh, who do you think got this? Uh, between Greece and Germany? Just in general. Um, okay, fine. Let's let's break it down. Who do you think uh, Poland is awaiting the winner of France and Norway? Do you think Poland will wipe either one? Who Who's playing for France right now? It's uh, Manorino and um, uh, Caroline Garcia. Those are the big, Ooh, the big uh, names. Sneaky, sneaky names. Uh, I'm still going to go ahead and go with Poland there. But I love that lineup. Caroline Garcia and Manorino to me are both sneaky good. And you know how I feel about Manorino. I, I think he had a great last year. I think that a lot of people still can't figure him out. And Caroline Garcia has done what she's done. You yeah, know, so she, you'll, you pick France over Norway then? I'm choosing France over Norway. And I'm choosing Poland over France. Okay. And then Australia beats Serbia. I'll get into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And they're awaiting the winner of Greece and Germany. Obviously, it's Sissy Pass and Sakari. Those yeah. are the big names. They do have a doubles player. Mm-hmm. And then there's obviously the big names are Zverev and Kerber. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who you got there? <sighs> um, I, I don't see Zverev and Kerber going the distance. I don't. Um, and you said Australia, which is... Diminor. Diminor and... <clears throat> they have uh, uh, Tom Janovic. Oh, Tom Janovic is Australian? Yeah, and, yes. I don't and know why I didn't have know the, that. The doubles is Hunter and Ebden. And Ebden? Yes. Oh, wow. So yeah. 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 Ebden is a double specialist. Specialist, yes. Yeah, very much so. Okay, wow. Australia might find a way. Yes. Um, They might find a way. I... When you when you list all those people, I have to kind of lean as my favorite to win it all as CC Pond Sakari, mm-hmm. but I like Australia as the winners. Yeah, I agree. I like Australia, um, Poland. They they're good at the top, but uh, I uh, Hercot and Ego would have to play doubles as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas Australia has more of a a deeper squad, mm-hmm. so I like Australia for sure. But now we're gonna get. To the big big upset, which is Diminor beating Ooh. Djokovic at United Cup, and wow. this will be the final topic of the evening. It was six four six four straight sets. Uh, this is obviously uh, Diminor's biggest win. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? And then I'll get into the stats. Um, no matter how you chalk it up, this is an impressive win for Diminor. Um, he Diminor is one of those guys that. He's a grinder. He's an incredible mover. And he rode the wave of momentum that Australia gave him. Um, I think that Djokovic was not able to convert the crowd screams into his own name at this match. And I think that's what made the difference. Right. Um, I do think that if they play on neutral grounds outside of Australia, the result is very different. But all credit to him. You know, um, he beat the greatest man on the planet at tennis holding a racket and it's his first time beating a world number one correct so alex Diminor, i'm a fan and i'm happy for him in this victory i don't think this victory is a sign of him having a crazy fire amazing 2024 i don't think it's a sign that they're going to take over the entire tournament but i think this was an incredible victory for him and he can take this momentum into the australian open i agree and as a matter of fact he said 
I am not, ultimately, I'm not the biggest guy, but what I do have is I adapt well and I can change my variety to different styles to beat players. Did you see what he was doing? He he was mixing it up. He was lobbing a lot. Yeah. He was top spinning a lot. Yeah. He, he tried to, to really rip it mm. and he saw that that wasn't really working. Mm. So he was trying to bring in Djokovic a lot and then lob him. Yeah. So I like the backhand slice. Yes. I like the lob. And I want to reference this in a pattern that um, Alcaraz used, which was the loopy high rolling forehand. Right. Um, I think people are finally coming up with things that are making Djokovic a little more attackable. I don't even want to call them holes, but they're giving you the opportunity to face a more human version of Djokovic. So big shout out to him for being calculated enough to do that and apply it. And he, uh, Djokovic had a 43 match win streak in Australia. And obviously that has come to an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good yes. job. So now, now the big, big news is Kyrgios said, well, I don't think it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have been complaining about the balls. Mm-hmm. He did. Uh, Djokovic did complain about a wrist problem. And Kyrgios was all, it's because of the balls. Mm-hmm. It's not the fact that Dim and Nor outplayed him, quote mm-hmm. unquote. You could see that Djokovic was bothered by the wrist. So this was Kyrgios on X talking about the a victory. What are your thoughts? Um, Kyrgios is, he has no horse in this race. He loves Dimonor. They won United Cup together. Um, some huge matches. And he's also got a positive relationship with Djokovic. Yes. So... I, I like his thought process, and I think he has some insight to this event that we don't. So I think this is something worth listening to. Um, I don't like that it's kind of taking away from Demonor's result, because let's also say this. This is the key to tennis. Whatever conditions is happening out there on that court, both players are dealing with them. Yes. These balls aren't good. Guess what? We're both hitting the same ball. The wind's bad. We're hitting in the same wind. Um, this is... Not a fair gripe to have or an excuse for Djokovic, who maybe didn't adapt as well. So, not a big fan of Kyrgios saying it in that facet, even if it is relevant and maybe the balls are dramatically different because they both had to play with them. Now, they are using Dunlop balls at United Cup, and the players are not liking that. As a matter of fact, there was a couple of players back in October who said using Dunlop balls is inhumane to use on the tour. <laughs> so that was a pretty interesting statement. And now uh, Kyrgios came back and said, uh, back on X after that, because he was criticized for saying, oh, did you take uh, the victory from Demonor? I thought he was your boy. Mm-hmm. So he responded to those people. Mm-hmm. He said, the ATP really needs to do something about the problem with the balls. Mm-hmm. Week in, week out, they're changing balls. They need to use the same ball and keep it that way. Mm-hmm. So it'll prevent the wrist injuries mm-hmm. and the arm injuries. He went on to say, as for you who think that uh, that uh, I'm taking the victory from Alex, you guys are noobs. The Demon is a hell of a player and deserves every success that comes his way. Mm-hmm. 
And then he followed it with this last statement. Also, for the people who think balls aren't a big enough factor to result in an athlete being hurt are potatoes. You don't know nothing of tennis. Mm. What are your thoughts on those comments? Uh, I love everything he said, honestly. You know, we've, we've heard this echoed by every major player on the tour about the balls. You know, there's there's no doubt in my mind that playing with different balls is causing problems. I'm a recreational player. I don't like changing balls. I was complaining to you earlier about yes. it. I was telling you that I had to switch balls because I was being cheap and I was infuriated by the way the ball played. You know, um, balls make a huge difference and it's it's not just about a ball that favors your play style. This is about the way a ball reacts to your body, to your racket. There's a lot of factors involved here. And so I'm with Curious on this. I'm with Taylor Fritz on this. I'm with a lot of these players who have problems with the balls. Obviously, I can't speak to getting injured by a ball because I'm a rec player. But if several pros are expressing that it's making your wrist susceptible to problems, it, it has to be relevant in some way. Yes. And I still stand by if... Alex Dimonor beat Djokovic. It doesn't really matter what the conditions were because they both played in them. I yes. agree with that. But I think that everything else he was saying is 100% true. You know, um, The tour needs to create a standard with the tennis ball. And I need to invest in the stock of whatever company they pick. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's my thoughts there. And I think that calling everyone a potato who doesn't get that isn't necessarily a fact. But it's funny. You know, <laughs> I think, how he is. <laughs> yeah, I think 90% of tennis players don't actually feel a difference between the brand of each ball. Yeah. I really don't think so. Um, there's the pros and there's probably the advanced players at a recreational level and everything in between that can tell the difference between balls. And then there's everyone else who just goes, are they new or are they old? Yeah. That's it. So, you know, it's interesting, but I am sure, I'm sure there will be reform with the tennis balls in some point in time. Uh, I wouldn't have said uh, I'm cheap on air, but that's all you. <laughs> I'm cheap. <laughs> all right. right. I'm a poor man. Um, nonetheless, I love to play with a great quality Dunlop ball. Thank you very much. All Whoever... right. So they just said it was very poor. Do yeah. you still want to play with a Dunlop? I took that as disrespect because I like Dunlop. All right. Um, I like Penn ATP balls. I like Dunlop. Um, I do not like Wilson titanium balls. They are the worst ball on planet Earth. Um, and I don't have a lot of opinions left to put on air. I'll save the rest for another time. Um, but, yeah, that's my thoughts for today. Okay, so you don't, you don't have anything else to add? Um, I don't think so. All right, in that case, uh, again, Breakpoint is coming out next week. So if you're a big fan of tennis, it's going to be on Netflix. It's actually coming out next Wednesday. So make sure to check it out. And I hope you guys were entertained. We're going to have a big announcement next week. We will see you then.